The holotropic breathwork, it's, it's important because it's not a substance. And so people really realize that their innate wisdom, this truest source of wisdom is coming from within them. And they have this opportunity to reorient to themselves as a source of healing. And that in and of itself is big medicine. Welcome to Voices of Esalen, the podcast that explores the human potential movement and the cultural and spiritual impact of the Esalen Institute in Big Sur, California. I'm your host, Sam Stern. Today, my guest is Stacia Butterfield, somatic practitioner and holotropic breathwork facilitator. Stacia's journey into holotropic breathwork started in 1999. Since then, she's been on a quest to explore the wisdom of the body and the intrinsic healing orientation of the psyche. She worked with Dr. Deborah Mash at Healing Visions, an early Ibogaine clinic in the British Virgin Islands, and certified as a holotropic breathwork facilitator in 2005. She also worked closely with Stanislav Grof for over 13 years. Later in the show, I'll play a clip of an interview I did with Grof at Esalen some years before. In this episode, we're going to delve into Stacia's personal journey into this work, her experience with breathwork versus psychedelics, and the importance of set and setting in creating a safe and supportive environment for healing. We'll also discuss how she creates and uses an environment for integration after the breathwork sessions and why Esalen in particular is such a significant place for integration. So without further ado, let's dive into this fascinating conversation with Stacia Butterfield. Stacia, can you explain what holotropic breathwork is and how it differs from other breathing practices? Yeah, it's one of those uh, paradoxes of explaining something that's very experiential, of course, but it's a powerful modality that draws on these time-honored traditions of accelerated breathing, the therapeutic potential of music, attention to set and setting. So basically, you lay down, eyes closed, you breathe deeply, and you just surrender to whatever experience is, is emerging from within. It's actually very, very simple. Stan Groff, the originator of the work uh, with his former wife, Christina Groff, they experimented with a lot of techniques, which there are in the world. There are some very sophisticated breath techniques from different traditions all around the world. And what they ultimately settled on was something really quite simple because they found that people want to do things right. And so in the spirit of supporting people to let go of that, the guidance around the, the breath itself is just breathing a little bit more deeply and a little bit more quickly and with a little less space between the inhalation and exhalation. So a deeper, fuller, more effective breath. It's really quite simple. And that sometimes is disappointing for people, but in the end, it actually serves the larger process. Breathwork just has been held in esteem and regard for many, many, many years in cultures all across the world and known for its qualities for shifting consciousness. Mm. But it turns out it doesn't take much. Is there a certain frame of time that you tell the participants like it's going to take X amount of time to get into an altered state or a, a shifted consciousness? Yeah, along with the breath is a very carefully selected and crafted set of music that is to support the physicality of the breathing process. And so it's so individually oriented that some people, we, we do a very brief body scan just to kind of relax the body, quiet the mind. And 
you know, some people take a few breaths and away they go. Other people, their minds are a little busier and they have to be a little bit more patient with the breath. And so it's really an individual experience. But I do recommend people really be generous with the breath for at least the first 30, 40 minutes if they can. And what happens is that then suddenly you find like you're engaging in this deeper, more accelerated breathing and suddenly the music is supporting it. It's it's kind of loud. It's evocative. It's percussive and rhythmic. And suddenly something just shifts and it's almost like grace. You know, you can't can't quite will it to happen, but it, it's like a practice. It's a letting go. And suddenly you feel like you're being breathed or you're using the music to support you into a deeper experience of yourself. And suddenly you're in something, something starts happening and it's almost like a vignette and you just fully participate in, in that experience. I love the way you put that. It feels like it's breathing you. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that really resonates with me. I've been able to participate in a couple of sessions across the years. And mm-hmm. I just remember, you know, lying down on a mat and having somebody guide me into these quick inhalations. And that's that's how I remember it. Quick inhalations and quick exhalations, almost like hyperventilating. I mean, you might take issue with that term. It didn't take necessarily like half an hour. It was faster. It was something like 15 minutes and feeling like this intense vulnerability, emotion rushing to the surface during these sessions and a surprise that I could get there just with breath. Yeah, indeed. People are usually pretty surprised. That's a big word that people use when they report back. You know, it is different for everyone. And the model, why I love this model is that it's meant to be used individually. So some people like yourself, a few breaths and away you go. It's it's powerful. Other people, they might need to take a little longer and that's okay too. And there's really no right or wrong way in doing that. The whole journey itself is really about a self-exploration, about a learning, about how to navigate these states. You know, we we sort of have had these really esteemed states legislated out of our culture in a way, or have been lost to many of our culture, especially in modern American life, at least I can speak to that. And so we don't have a ton of familiarity with non-ordinary states or these holotropic states that have value for us in learning about ourselves and the world we live in. And so to shift from the ordinary state does require a letting go of some sorts. That is a prerequisite for all non-ordinary state work is you have to let go of the ordinary state. Interestingly enough, all of the world's great traditions have a strategy for turning inward. Holotropic breathwork is really a modality for exploring one's interiority. You know, I think it would be great to to give a little bit of context on the development of holotropic breathwork as a practice since it was born at Esalen Institute. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned earlier, the originator of the work is Stan Groff and Christina Groff. And Stan is a pioneering psychedelic researcher from the 50s and the 60s. He's a psychiatrist from the Czech Republic and came over during the the war and continued his psychedelic research at Johns Hopkins and Maryland Psychiatric Research Institute. And during the culture wars, when the funding dried up for funding this early psychedelic research, he was invited to become a scholar in residence at Esalen. And he lived there for 13 years as a scholar 
in residence and people wanted to continue studying with him. And he drew on his experience, his clinical experience and other world traditions and people that he met and knowing that breath was known for shifting states of consciousness. Also in his clinical research, he would see people when they were coming down from LSD or on the backside where he would suddenly see people start taking some deep breaths and maybe touching their body or breathing more deeply when more difficult material was emerging. And so from his vast experience of sitting with people, he really observed that the breath was the organism's, the system's attempt to support itself in ridding an old imprint or an old residue. So the breath work is just helping to get rid of these deep, these older imprints that are no longer useful. Here's a clip from former chairman of the Esalen board, Jeff Kripal, on the work that Stanislav Grof conducted at Esalen. And then Stan Grof will comment on how holotropic breathwork was born. In the 70s, you've got Stan Grof living here. He, you know, he starts out in, in, in Czechoslovakia as a classical Freudian psychoanalyst. And he was one of the young medical students to whom they gave LSD to try to imitate a psychosis. And the way he, Stan tells the story, instead of a psychosis, he sees God, basically, and it just flips his world. He becomes fascinated in LSD research, and Mike invites him out here, and he ends up staying for 14 years. He's interested in, of course, LSD and psychedelics, but they're now illegal, and so he has to develop some other way of getting people into altered states, and he develops this holotropic breath work. Initially, people were not very happy when I was talking about the research that we have done. They said, well, it's all it's great to hear about these fantastic experiences, but can't we do something? Do you have a little stash on the side, you know? I said, I don't have the license here for that, and I don't think Esalen would be very happy. And so I started thinking about, you know, what could we do experientially? So I saw that faster breathing can somehow bring material out of the unconscious to consciousness. And so we started playing with it. <laughs> it wasn't even called holotropic breathwork at that point in time. You know, we just laid down on mats and he played this music and we started breathing yeah. and talked about our experiences <laughs> afterwards. I just thought, yeah, well, you know, this is interesting stuff. Can you talk about your personal journey into this work? Yeah, I was just around 30 or so. I was feeling a little disillusioned with my corporate life, and I decided to do a somatic practitioner program. It was a residential program, and there were a lot of just, I, I had been pretty heavy on academic and heady pursuits, and so I wanted to focus a little bit more on the body. And it turned out that breathwork was one of the classes, in addition to body work and body-centered practices. And I didn't take to it on the first class, but I found it to, to be really the modality that fast-tracked everything for me. It bypassed my intellect, my mind that was 
very clever. And it just got past all of that and right into the deep core of my being and just offered me profound insights that had not previously been accessible. And then in addition to that, I had on that third class, I had this tremendous, what really to this day is one of the most profound transpersonal experiences I've, I've ever had. And I just could not not believe anymore that there was something beyond just this material world. And suffice to say, I was just met by the presence of another on a universal level that was so all-knowing, yet so specific to me and so meaningful. And it just kind of blew me away. I never studied anything like that, learned anything like that. But to have that kind of felt sense was pretty extraordinary for me. And it was a boon beyond belief, just carried me through to the the next stages of my journey of self-discovery for sure. And can you talk more about how your personal experience was impacted? Did it begin to affect your life? Yes, absolutely. I really resonated with the breath work and suddenly deep insights were happening. First of all, I started being able to feel a lot more. I had an orientation to my own my own body, my own sensations. When I then joined the training, before I started working with the training for a long time, you know, just finding a place that felt safe to really let go, to really grieve kind of all the things in life that either I had or had not had was pretty profound. And so the things I was able to get a much clearer insight to myself and my life. And then as that happened, a lot of things around me in my life changed. You know, I suddenly you know, had deep and meaningful relationships that I really had wanted and they were showing up and and having a family and community that was authentic and connected. And that really, um, that meant a lot. Mm. And were you kind of engaging in the holotropic breathwork in conjunction with other kinds of therapies? Do you find that holotropic breathwork is a good, what's that word, collaborative kind of therapy? Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, holotropic breathwork is a great adjunct to therapy. And that's, in fact, a lot of people, I get referrals from clinicians a, a lot of times working with, with folks. It's a great way to do deep work and then bring material up and then work integratively with it. When I first came in contact with holotropic breathwork, I I was actually working at a clinic down in the British West Indies um, that was an early Ibogaine clinic back in 2000. So it was really integrative from after a very deep and powerful experience that some folks were going through. Yeah, it works really really well. In fact, I know a number of people who are doing different kinds of non-ordinary state work and holotropic breath work is just a great accompaniment to that work. That's very interesting. I would love to hear more about the way that holotropic breath work works as an adjunct to various forms of psychedelics therapy. Well, it can work with both psychedelic therapy and also just traditional therapy as well. I mean, because there are some things that cognitively people are aware of in their biography, for example, but there often is so much that is unseen or even unconscious that isn't coming through in talk therapy sessions. So holotropic breathwork is just a really like 
powerful gold standard experiential modality to get to some of these underlying things that are even pre-verbal or have been well kept out of consciousness for, for good reason at a time. And it's just, you know, creating a really safe set and setting an environment where an invitational space where people can begin to make contact or rapport with some of these deeper dimensions of their psyche or or deeper material, even from their biography that they may not have felt or experienced fully yet. Yeah. No, this is great, Stacia. I'm really appreciating the, the depth and quality of your answers. Great. How do you ensure the safety and well-being of your clients during holotropic breathwork? Are there any potential risks or contraindications? There are some contraindications, and those are screened um, in advance. And those include some cardiovascular circumstances, active spiritual emergency, things of that nature. But definitely, we do screen in in advance. In terms of safety and well-being, that comes with a really thorough preparation. I think a good preparation can definitely determine the outcome of some experiences. And holotropic breathwork is pretty notorious for having a really rich and robust preparation or orientation to the work. So people have a sense of the full range of experiences that they might encounter. They have some orientation to Groff's extended cartography of the psyche, which means that not only could they have some kind of biographical experience, but they may also have some kind of perinatal experience, or they could have a big transpersonal experience. And for someone who's never had that kind of contact with the numinous or in these archetypal realms, it it can be so profound. And the reason is that if that's what they are coming in contact with, we really want people to open fully to the experience, whatever it is, so that they can receive the full benefit of it. From your point of view, what's the importance of set and setting? How and what do you do to create a positive set and setting for your clients? Yeah, you know, this is so important. First of all, I mean, everyone is treated as an honored guest. And it's not flashy. I don't really have anything flashy to say, to be honest. It's in the small and subtle and intentional considerations that people are welcomed into a space where they can feel supported, where they can feel held to go inside, to open up. And that's everything from the way that they're greeted, the orientation to the workshop or the retreat, to the space, offering enough structure, but also a sense of spaciousness. They're always communicating and connecting with the deeper parts of someone that have really been invited to come to the surface. Some people miss that, and it's it's really important. And that everything is welcome. You know, it isn't just about rainbows and bliss bunnies and, and stuff, but that people are met exactly where they're at, and there's no wrong way of doing the work at all. How do you create opportunities for integration after the session is over? What have you found to be most important and integral to integration? First of all, I, I just think, you know, someone is courageous enough to be willing to 
turn inward and open up to whatever might be there. You've got to have some kind of offering or resources to support people. And in the session itself, it starts very simply with how people are met as they're coming out of the session, which sounds very easy peasy, but it's so important that there's that liminal space when people come out. And and I just invite people to just take that time for themselves, like so that the door is wide open right there. They're holding the door open for themselves. And it's interesting what can come through there. So I like to be real mindful of those spaces. I like to invite people to anchor whatever the inner experience was at first without overthinking it. And then we have some art experiences that they can engage with. And then always a share circle that people are invited, but not required to give voice to their experience which is sometimes a real risk. It's, it's a step into vulnerability, but it's usually so rewarded. These share circles are often what people say are just their favorite part of the whole day or week or something is that we all learn from each other. It's an old way of learning really is in circle like this. And it's so not about analyzing or therapizing. It's just, it's about supporting each other on our journey Those are some very on-site beginning steps toward integration. And then from there, presence is, I think, the biggest offering that everyone has to offer each other. Wow. I mean, you're making me want to be at your your week at at Esalen. When are you coming to Esalen again? In July, July 3rd through the 7th. And so you'll have a group of people. And so they'll be practicing holotropic breathwork in group. That's actually the secret sauce of holotropic breathwork, in my opinion. I I just think we are so starved for this deep connection or authentic connection. And it just happens so naturally when engaging in this kind of work. It's an old way of being, this coming together in pursuit of the inner journey. It's time honored. There's something that everyone's doing their own work, but they're in community. So they're responsible for themselves. But, you know, sometimes that extra boost of support from another or from the group, from community is just everything. Or to see that you're not alone in your own suffering or or grief. A lot of people come when they're processing grief. There's something really, really lovely to to watch when groups start attending to each other, extending themselves to each other. It's really, really sweet. And I think it's, um, it is such a boon too. That's really probably one of the great privileges of the work I've done over the years is watching the deep and authentic bonds and the ones that I've formed myself with people in my my own groups. Mm. Yeah. And I would imagine that the land of Esalen provides such an an amazing kind of container for this work and the ability to not have to go back to some sort of ordinary life after you've had a transformative experience. I think that's... It's the apex. I mean, it's, it's just the zenith of places, I'd have to say. Obviously, doing any kind of non-ordinary state work, you want to be in nature because your senses are heightened, your awareness, you're attuned, the veil is thin. But honestly, I think just being at Esalen, being held by the land there is just unparalleled in my experience. And the history that is there of people coming, seeking the inner journey. It's like the yellow brick road to your inner self. 
All right, you're really uh, you're really convincing me. So Stacia's workshop is July third, twenty twenty three, to July seventh, twenty twenty three. For those listening who are interested, who are feeling the call like I am right now, Stacia, are there any misconceptions about holotropic breathwork that you'd like to dispel, or kind of any common mistakes people might make approaching the technique? Well, yeah. Thanks for this question. I find people a lot of times, you know, when I talk to them, oh, they're like, I'm thinking about my breath practice. It's it's not your 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 yoga studio variety breath work per se. Not that there's anything wrong with that, because there are tons of physiological benefit to breathing deeper and more intentionally. Absolutely, but this really is a deep dive into into one's psyche. It's, it's, it's opening, it's accessing non-ordinary states of consciousness. So it's more than just, I, I don't even think of myself as a breath worker, strangely, even though breath work is in the title. I, I, I don't think of that. I, I think of this is really about co-creating a well-held container for deep inner work. It happens to use the breath, but it also draws on other technologies like sound and somatic considerations and artwork and support and skillful support in those those states. So I guess that's probably the biggest thing is that it's not just about breath work. It's about a lot of time-honored traditions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about the lobster hand phenomenon? I know that I my hands turned into kind of like claws two of the times that I participated in this uh, modality. Oh yeah, tetany. That's called tetany, and uh, or I think the technical term is carpal pedal syndrome, spasming of the hands. It look so your hands sort of look like lobster cl- claws or slee stack claws for those of you of that era. <laughs> and you know, it just it can be painful for some folks, and it can be kind of slightly strangely enjoyable for other folks. But you can just work with it and you can intensify the hands up. And usually after the first few breath works, it passes. It, it, it can sometimes happen in your face. Mm. And there are a number of different theories about it. But usually it goes away after the first uh, se- several breath work sessions. It wasn't that bad. I think I was in the camp where it was like strangely kind of cool. It was, it was interesting. Yeah, you fall in that category. Yeah, it's... Um, it's a different kind of sensation. Like all sensations that come up in the body, those are seen as, or symptoms or sensations, they're seen as ways to work with energy. And so they come up authentically that the the idea is to just to amplify it or intensify it as a way to facilitate the energy just coming all the way through. Yeah. You know, with, with regards to accessing kind of realms of spirituality and consciousness. I'm curious to hear about your experience of holotropic breath work versus an experience through psychedelics. I'm I'm kind of imagining or assuming that assuming that you have some experience accessing these realms through psychedelics as well and would be able to make some sort of comparison, but how do you personally differentiate these two pathways? I would say for me, I think I've gotten the most out of my breathwork experiences, to be honest. I mean, first of all, you're not on a substance, so you're not sort of white knuckling for eight hours or whatever, but you can actually be with the experience. You can bring back the gains of your insights. If something feels too big, if it's emerging, you can slow down, you can scale back, which is real important for people who have 
big trauma that they're working on metabolizing. People tend to remember their holotropic breathwork sessions better, the material in them. The visuals can be really incredible too. I mean, I on par with all the other things, wormholing through the universe, etc. <laughs> you know, so I think there's a lot of benefit. In fact, I work with a, a number of organizations, but it's being used uh, as training for some psychedelic assisted therapy training programs, also for different commercialization companies that are bringing new molecules that are training their therapists and facilitators for studies. Once the therapists go through the holotropic breath work, I've had so many of them come and say, oh, I get it now. You have this real wonderful opportunity to sit for another, to practice your sitting skills. On medicine, you know, there's a flavor and there's, you know, you're, you're there. When you ingest something, you're there. And there's some benefit to that. But honestly, I have people say to me all the time, the most psychedelic experience I ever had was a holotropic breathwork session. So I think it's a great entry point. And, and that's who a lot of the folks that I work with are. They've read Michael Pollan's book and they're curious and they're interested, but they're not quite ready. And so I think this is a great place to begin exploration. And the experiences are so deep and compelling. It's why I still do this. Beyond that, it also speaks to the paradigm shift that is really needed to hold these experiences and the opportunity that we have. And so my hope is that, especially with the medicalization of psychedelics, that we don't try to fit all of you know, this tremendous opportunity and awakening to consciousness into this sort of square peg of the medical model, but that these states are inherent that we have an intrinsic healing orientation in our psyche. The holotropic breathwork, it's, it's important because it's not a substance. And so people really realize that their innate wisdom, this truest source of wisdom is coming from within them. And they have this opportunity to reorient to themselves as a source of healing. And that in and of itself is big medicine. How do you see the future of holotropic breathwork evolving? What role do you think it can play in promoting healing and transformation? You know, for so long, people have looked outside of themselves. It's not about achieving something or going out there and, you know, getting something or doing something as much as it is about allowing this wisdom to reveal itself, to gather information about oneself. And it's very feminine in that way. It's a beautiful process when people begin to learn how to trust themselves and have a sense of what that feels like in their bodies to be able to be in collaboration with their their lives in a way that is informed from within. Mm. Well, Stacia, thank you so much. I want to close by asking you, what, what message would you like to share with listeners who are curious about holotropic breathwork or are seeking to deepen their own spiritual practice? I encourage them to explore the adventure. First of all, to find skillful work. I do want to make mention that, um, you know, it's a, it's a big deal to open up, to ex to open up, to turn toward a mystery, to engage in non-ordinary state work. And I, I would say, make sure that you're making a good choice for yourself, that you're finding skillful support. The training for holotropic breathwork, Stan and Christina thought should, it, it always should be a minimum of two years. 
So it's a very extensive training. And so that is so that people have the experience of seeing and trusting that that deep process as it unfolds from within. And that doesn't always happen with someone who's new, you know, in, in a different field or something. So I would say make a good choice for yourself, find skillful support and begin the journey. Trust yourself. It's 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 so rich. Once you begin exploring these states, surrendering, co- collaborating with them, you sort of join in this quest. You sort of see life as this adventure of self-discovery in a way. And so that offers greater agency and capacity for the ups, the downs, the all-arounds, you know, and sort of the joy in, in navigating your life's experience. And you know, that's really what I hope and where people can really see themselves as part of a much greater sense of self than just their everyday material lives that they they have these more cosmic perspective. That's what Stan used to always say to me, well, don't forget your cosmic perspective. And there's something really, really valuable to that. What a great way to close. Stacia, you've sold me. I'm like... I'm gonna, you're going to see me showing up. I hope I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, again, Station Butterfield, she'll be at Esalen July 3rd to July 7th. It sounds like it'll be a transformative, impassioned, spiritual opening, <laughs> uh, expanding, splendid time to be had by all. Stacia, thanks for joining us today on Voices of Esalen. It's, it's a complete pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening to Voices of Esalen. Today's show was produced in conjunction with Shira Levine. Our theme music is by Nico Holloman. Esalen Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to advancing human potential and promoting positive social change. Your support helps us to continue to offer transformative programs and retreats that promote personal growth and collective well-being. To learn more about Esalen and how you can support our mission, visit our website at esalen.org. <laughs>